This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Gosh Pods. I'm Emma, the Digital Learning Fellow at Gosh and your host today. All this week on Gosh Pods, we are looking at leadership stories and I will be interviewing several senior members of staff about leadership, both clinical and non-clinical, about their career journey and their experiences. The importance of leadership and management is highlighted in the GOSH People Strategy, which focuses on the development of compassionate, competent leadership within the Trust, and emphasises that every member of staff at GOSH should be given the opportunity to develop their leadership skills and encouraged to reach their full potential. Hope you enjoy listening. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Caroline Anderson, who is the Human Resources and Organisational Development Director at GOSH. Have I got that right, Caroline? Yeah, it's sort of a long title. It is, it is. Thank you so much for joining me today. Could you start by telling me just the story of your career so far and how you ended up in your role at GOSH? Yeah, so it's quite a long time ago, so I'll have to dig back pretty deep. So I kind of never really had a career plan or a pathway. I wasn't able to go into further education because of family circumstances. So I kind of find myself as a trainee in a kind of electricity council, which was just a a kind of general administration trainee role. Didn't know what it would entail, had not a clue. It was just an advert that I applied, responded to and got the job and just kind of started my career really. I spent quite a lot of time just wandering from one job to another without really thinking about what I wanted to do. And I've always been in public sector, so, you know, very much committed to public service, believe passionately in public service and public good. And that's kind of driven my choice of employers. So I have always worked in the public sector. Worked for the Central Electricity Generating Board for about five or six years as a a junior buyer. So I was a only female junior buyer in the team, very much a male-dominated industry and a male-dominated team. And I learned lots about needing to manage up and alongside and down in, in a very male-dominated work environment, but enjoyed it immensely and moved to the Electricity Council as a senior buyer as part of that process. When the electricity supply industry, because it was public then, was privatised, moved into a team that led on the disaggregation of contracts and the narration of those contracts to the successor uh, electricity companies. So again, working in in a very different environment. I moved from there to local government into a procurement and contracting role. It was at the time, and you won't know this because you're far too young, when compulsive competitive tendering was forcing local authorities to put their blue-collar services out to, to competition. And I went in to lead that process on behalf of Greenwich Council. And that was a really interesting thing. It was uh, I was there for about three or four years. And during that time, was made redundant while I was on maternity leave and ended up going into a role as a redeployment. Um, which was a head of general business support services for the borough secretary and solicitors department, which was a kind of really generic role. I had responsibility for lots of things, including porters and telephone systems, all of the kind of back office infrastructure supports things. I did that for a while and I moved from there into a role in personnel as it was then, human resources as it is now, or people capital or a hundred other definitions that people 
just used to describe the area of work that I am in. And I was asked to do a grievance, actually, into the central training team where the whole of the team had taken a grievance out against their line manager. And I was asked to investigate that grievance. And at the end of it, I just said, this is, you know, this, this team is broken, but the function is broken also. What you need to do is to establish X, Y, Z with these kind of skill sets, these kind of arrangements and processes. And at the end of it, the chief executive said, would you like to do it? I went, oh, okay, I'll have a go at that then. So I moved in. To that role. I also was asked to pick up another role, which was the introduction of a governance and scrutiny function. Local authorities were moving into a new political management structure. So I did that for a while alongside leading and establishing an OD function for Greenwich. So I did that for a while and lots of other things. So I've always just been interested in doing the next thing that interested me rather than having a career plan. I was headhunted to join Hackney Council as their HR director. By this time, I was head of the organisation development function for the council and moved across to Hackney in 2007. And they were very much broken. So this was a long time ago when they were still mad, bad and dangerous to know. And I joined at a time when they, they were recovering from a really, really challenging backdrop. So they'd become bankrupt and huge, huge financial challenges to the organisation. They closed their accounts down six months after the end of the financial year to find that they were £70 million in debt. So really challenging time for the organisation. And I went in to lead the HR and OD function to reset it, to re-establish it, work with the organisation to build some of that infrastructure back up. And I was there for seven years, absolutely loved it, loved the work, loved the people, loved the borough. And in 2013, I was asked to apply for a job in the civil service as the HR director for HM Land Registry. They'd gone through a really challenging time as a result of the property crash, because of a trading fund, they went from a hundred million pounds surplus to a three million pound deficit in nine months because their income came from buy seller house and nobody was buying or selling houses. So they ended up with a huge, a huge deficit and the need to close down 50% of their offices and make redundant 50% of their staff. So I'd gone in on the back of that to help rebuild. Again, really interesting. They hadn't recruited since 2008. All of the processes, all of the systems, all of the infrastructures were broken. And so I spent five years working with a fabulous team, rebuilding the structures for the organisation, introduced apprenticeships, restructured the whole hulk. They've come to a very flat structure because they'd lost all their bottom tiers. And so I was able to introduce a apprenticeship scheme and when I'd left we had 500 apprentices in the organisation across all of the offices. So really fantastic experience, something I thoroughly enjoyed. And then one of my directors, whose daughter is looked after by Great Ormond Street, said to me, oh, I saw a lovely job for you, Caroline, right up your street. And it was Great Ormond Street. And I said, oh, yeah, the lot what they want. They want somebody who's worked in the NHS, somebody who's worked in an acute hospital environment. You know, I don't meet the spec, really. And he said... Caroline, what would you be saying to other people out the gate? But you've got lots of other skills and experience. Make them work for you. So I did. And I applied. Matt Shaw would have just been appointed as the chief executive. And he, he appointed me. So that's his first appointment. So that's kind of a wink through a, a strange career, I think. 
Yeah, it sounds like a really varied and quite fascinating career, how you've essentially just done so many things and really kind of worked your way up. I suppose for this podcast, thinking about leadership, was that something that you kind of gradually took on throughout your positions? Was there a point when you started managing and leading teams of people? Can you identify a job where that suddenly became a primary role? Or do you think actually that managing people and leading new directions was just something that you were always good at and so always brought to your job along the way? I think it's really, I can't pinpoint a job when I said I suddenly became a line manager. And I think the word leadership, you know, sort of we're talking about nearly 40 years ago, it just wasn't part of language. So you didn't think about being a leader. You just you thought about being a good line manager and being a good person. But I don't think I thought about leadership in the way in which we now discuss it. I've always been interested. I'm quite nosy and I've always been interested. So I guess one of the very first things I did was to join the election team. And I went in so local authorities run elections. And every year, almost, you end up running a, an election. And I joined the election team initially because you got paid extra money. And that always seemed very attractive at that point in my life. So I started off being a supervisor for the counts, which is the process that they go through when they, when they count the votes at the end of the day. And I was quite good at that. I was quite good at organising. I was quite good at making sure that people understood how to complete the task, but were kept on task and motivated. And because you're working through the night, it's really important that you know your team, that you work with them and you help them through any of those kind of awkward times. I found that I really enjoyed that. So I went from being a supervisor of a team to a supervisor of the floor and then a deputy returning officer. So I worked my way through and quite often I was able to just pick up things because I was interested. I was interested in doing things. I liked learning. I began to train the different teams on the election processes and the procedures that you have to follow. It's very, very strict and very regulated running elections. So people needed to understand. We had a time fairly early on when we had a really poorly managed election process. Um, and of course, it ended up getting overturned. And that's a really difficult position for an organisation, local authority to be in. And so we went through and really reviewed all the processes. And I ended up training people in the processes. So not just expecting people to rock up and know what to do, but really making sure these are really important processes, highly regulated. So I've always been interested, I guess, in people and working with people and learning and doing different things. And I suppose it's that part of my character and personality that kind of led me into roles where I suddenly found myself. I can't believe I'm the, I'm the HR director of Great Ormondsfield Hospital. Um, it's, still, it's still an amazing thing. And so moving on now to talk about your current role at GOSH, which you say you still can't really believe you find yourself in. What does a typical day look like for you as the director of HR? There isn't a typical day, that's for sure. So when I joined in 2019, I suddenly found myself in my first job in the NHS as an HR director in my first year in a hospital during a pandemic. And I can tell you that was not on the job description. So my days are very varied. I still, I mean, each, each day... There is something which I will probably find challenging. So even if I take yesterday, at the moment, obviously, with 
a lot of my work is involved in preparing for strike action, in, in providing advice, looking at processes and systems. So yesterday I was in early. We had uh, a remuneration committee, which is um, a committee with the non-executive directors looking at pay, looking at HR policy and agreeing some, some processes and arrangements for pay going forward. That was followed by the recovery board, which is a, a meeting attended by executives and others looking at financial recovery of the organisation. I then had confidential trust board, so that's chaired by the chairman and, and it's attended by all of the executives and the non-executives. And we look at some of the running of the hospital, but also some of the strategic challenges for the hospital. And then they had a 15 minutes break and then we're into public trust board which is where we present the functioning and running of the hospital to a public audience. So that was about three hours. So it was a pretty packed day. The night before, though, I was the exec on court and there was a power disruption in one of the buildings. So at two o'clock in the morning, I was on the phone to the duty manager, the engineer on site, talking about options for moving the power supply in order to make sure that we could protect the theatre time. At 4am, we had a heart transplant coming in and we need to make sure that the power supply was secure. We also had a child on dialysis who wouldn't finish until 7am. And we had a couple of kids on ventilators who were not plugged into backup systems. So the, the discussion at 2am in the morning was, you know, what's the safest option for moving this over? And we did, they absolutely did it, you know. Brilliant. So I proceeded my, my nine o'clock meeting by a 2am meeting, unexpected, unscheduled. So my work is very varied, both as an executive and as an HR practitioner. So it's yeah. never a dull day, I would say. And is that what you enjoy most about it? I enjoy the variety. I enjoy working for an organisation which has inherent purpose. The work here is truly remarkable. And it's a real privilege to be able to work in an organisation that does so much inherent good. And it's why I'm really committed to making sure that the work I do, particularly around staff support, staff welfare, policies, processes, infrastructure to allow people to thrive, is so important because it supports such a, a valued and valuable public service. Yeah, absolutely. And is there anything that you miss from previous roles? If I'm with my local government colleagues, I talk about we. If I'm with my civil service colleagues, I talk about we. And now I'm in the NHS, I talk about we. I've been very, very lucky that I have absolutely loved all of my roles and all of them has been a, a real privilege. And I actually always enjoy and focus on the job that I'm doing. And this is your first job in the NHS, but not your first time in the role of human resources and organisational development director. Yeah. Is the job similar, it, whether you're in an NHS clinical environment or whether you're in, you know, a completely different environment, such as the land registry? Is it a similar job or are there key differences in working for the NHS? And what do you think they are? So I, I think it's a similar job. Because your core role as an HR director and as an executive director requires you to balance those professional responsibilities and the corporate management of the organisation. And that's what you, you do as an executive. You balance both of those two. But I think the context 
in which you work is fundamental to your ability to function effectively in your organization. So understanding the organization, understanding how it's organized, structured work, the regulatory framework. I suppose for me, being able to do that is part of my professional background. I do quite a lot of diagnostic work in the organizations I've worked with and teams. I'm, I'm looking at how are teams functioning? How are people functioning? What's missing? What do you need to put in place, et cetera? So I'm quite used to doing that kind of stuff. The bit that I found incredibly difficult coming into the organization is the emotional resilience that you need to have to work in, in the NHS and, and particularly in a children's hospital. And I was unprepared for that. On my first day, Matt Shaw said to me, bad things and sad things happening in a hospital. And I went, oh, yeah, 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 no, I get that. I didn't really get it until I was working. I used to spend first year in particular, I used to spend quite a lot of time with clinical teams to kind of understand the work and how they all fitted together. And I was with the CATS team and I was fascinated by the way in which they ran that service. So they transport very poorly children all over and a really skilled, amazing team dealing with, you know, the most poorly, but also always uncertainty and ambiguity. And so just how they were managing that. And then the team said, would you like to come to our M&M? And I just said, yeah, okay. Never been to one before. And of course, they're reviewing all of the deaths that have happened in the previous month. And I sat there and I just remember it so clearly. The first child was an eight-year-old boy, previously fit and well. And I just felt this huge amount of, of sadness, of emotion. And it was the last bit we had RIP. And this poor little boy had gone through such a traumatic time and had passed. And I just bored by myself. I was really distressed and it brought home to me just the complexity of the work, the emotion, the challenge, how skilled individuals are, be able to navigate through that. I came back into my office, having spent a bit of time just sitting in the gardens in Russell Square, come and find Sanjeev, who's the medical director. He and Matt Shaw were in the office and then Sanjeev just sat with me and just talked me through and talked me down until I was calm because we had a trust board meeting that afternoon and I needed to get a grip. And I was immensely grateful for that, but it really reinforced for me the emotional challenge, the physical and intellectual and emotional challenge of working in an environment like GOSH, but also the privilege of seeing people's expertise with kind of real and capability and kindness and how important those things are. So yeah, that for me was the most, I just, I can feel it now as I'm talking because it was so fundamental to my understanding about how the organisation works. I think a lot of people have that kind of moment of emotional shock when they start working in that kind of environment. And I think actually it's probably quite an important process for really understanding the importance of your job. Do you think there's anything you'd have done differently to prepare yourself better for that? Or do you think that actually it just helped you to understand how important your role was? So I, I don't know whether I could have prepared better because of what's been really clear to me and working with colleagues closely through the pandemic is that my clinical colleagues in particular have much deeper reserves of emotional resilience, which comes from their exposure through their career to some of the things that they work in. 
you can't get that without having that exposure. And so it is something that I think you either have or don't have. And I don't think, I'm not sure that I could have prepared myself differently. What it did do, I was writing people's strategy, the first people's strategy at the time, and I was missing a piece and it really helped consolidate my understanding of the organization and why the well-being, the wraparound services and the support for staff, it's so fundamental. So I, I think I needed to feel that emotional shock in order to really connect to ground with the, with the organization. So I think it was a purposeful and necessary part of my learning. Moving on to a slightly different area now, it sounds like your specialty is, and I'm sorry if this is a massive oversimplification, but it sounds like what you're really good at is troubleshooting. So you can be presented with a problem and really break down the problem to the underlying systems and people to work out what's going on and how you can rebuild it better. Would you say that's a fair description of your job? Yes, in, ma- in many ways. But I would also say that the more senior you become, the more critical that ability is. And I would say that for all my colleagues, our ability to be able to, okay, what is it that you're looking at here? What do we need to do to make it different? What's the really core underlying issue that we need to address? How do we break that down? How do we respond to it? How do we make it better? That's, that's a core competency of leadership. So I don't, I don't know whether that's driven by my personality or by my experience, but it's absolutely an essential part of being able to work in a senior role, particularly in organisations where responding to issues is part of your everyday life and therefore you just hone your skills around being able to do that. And that moves us on nicely to our next area, which is thinking a bit about personal qualities that are helpful for leadership. Are there any particular qualities that you think you possess that help you in your leadership role? I try always to be authentic and to be honest, to be open and to be competent. I think people underestimate the need for competence and focus very much on things like compassion and kindness and inclusion, which are absolutely integral parts of all effective leadership. But without competence, they just make you a nice person. And you need both of those to be effective. So people will follow you. They'll only follow you if they trust you. And they have to trust both your motivation, so your sense of of self and your moral compass, but also your competency. So that both of those things. So I suppose, do I have a style? Not one that I'm consciously nurturing or supporting. I am me, being authentic and people knowing that I am trustworthy, that I'm values-driven, that my approach to my work and my relationships at work are grounded in morality, actually. Doing the right thing and doing things right are really important to me. And because I work with people, I'm very conscious that the consequences of my decision-making and my advice has real impact for individuals, and therefore it's incumbent on me to do that as well as I possibly can. So integrity is important to me. And for you, is there a difference between good leadership and good management? I think they're very complementary and they don't always coexist. So your line management is it's about your individual personal relationships that you have with your individuals in your team and being able to manage and support them well, empowering them, teaching them, supporting them to do their 
very best. Leadership is much more strategic and about setting vision. So I think they are important. They don't necessarily exist together sometimes. And I'm not sure that you get to a layer where you're suddenly a leader. I always think that underlying good line management is really key to be building effective and efficient and highly performing teams. The relationships you build with the individuals are the ones that really allow you to achieve. Where I think vision, being a leader and setting vision, setting direction and being able to do that, getting people to follow you and, and to connect to what you want to achieve. Those can be those can be delivered and presented at home. But for the most important for me is the relationships that you build and the opportunity to really ensure that your teams and individuals within your teams excel and are able to be their best selves. I would always value good line management as a kind of core competency sitting alongside leadership. Why is good leadership so important for GOSH? And what are we doing as a trust to help support and develop the leaders of the future that work within GOSH currently? So I'm, I'm quite lucky in that I sit within a function that has line management and leadership development as part of its remit. So there's a whole program of work around the people strategy, the DNI framework, health and well-being, which has leadership at its heart and the opportunity to provide and build capability and skills. So having OD interventions, having training functions, looking at the values. So my whole job really is about the promotion of line management and leadership. They are fundamental building blocks to good organizational culture. You have to think about what creates culture and its behaviors. So leadership behaviors, which set that tone. They are the process systems and infrastructure that support that. And then that's behaviors that they drive. So that triangle of leadership and process systems behaviors are what, what mutually reinforce an effective culture. If your leadership is weak, and that's your primary anchor, then you move towards your kind of leadership, your, your regulatory process and systems. And because hospitals are highly regulated environment, they become much more driven by processes and that drives a command and control set of behaviors. So your leadership is your anchor because your regulations are non-negotiable. They are a safety critical work environment. So you need that that's counterbalance to your regulatory framework to provide the really positive behaviors, which promote good leadership, but they also promote an effective and an appropriate culture. What advice would you give to listeners of this podcast who might be thinking of becoming more involved in leadership and management in their area? I would say if you're interested in others, if you're interested in making a difference, not just in your clinical work, but particularly in your opportunity to develop yourself and others, it does give you extraordinary skills, really a wide range of skills that are transferable in a whole range of work environments. I think it gives huge satisfaction. I've been the most proud of the people who I've seen grow, develop, move on and then come back and tell me what they're doing. That's hugely rewarding and satisfying to me. And then I think we've got time for one final question. So I was just wondering if you have a role model or someone that's inspired you. So my very, very first line manager when I was an 18-year-old kid living in a bedsit with no kind of support around me 
was a woman who I went to work with in my very first role. And she was extraordinary. And she just took me under her wing and helped me navigate through so many things. And she was just a really wonderful, open, good-hearted person. And she just saw that I was a kid who just needed a bit of support and direction. Now we'd call it, you know, inclusive leadership. Then it was just somebody who had. And I think back on her with huge fondness and love. And yeah, she, she is absolutely a role model, somebody who would just completely non-judgmental and opened her heart to a kid that just needed it. Yeah, she sounds truly inspirational. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. So thank you so much for coming and talking to me. It's been a really fascinating look at your career and how you got to where you are today. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gosh Pod's Leadership Stories. We hope it has inspired you to think about developing your leadership skills to reach your full potential. Great Ormond Street offers several in-person courses as well as e-learning programmes aimed at aspiring, developing and established leaders with accreditation from the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management. To find out more, log in to Gosh Gold at lms.goshgold.org and search for leadership. We would love to get your feedback about the episode as well as get your ideas for topics for future podcast series. You can find a link to our feedback page in the description for the episode or email us at digital.learning at gosh.nhs.uk. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn or visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.